Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands. So you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most, when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble <laughs> on. Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And I owe you a thank you, John. Uh, a few weeks ago, you bet 20 of our bankroll dollars on the Phillies to win the World Series, and almost immediately they started falling apart. <laughs> yeah. They lost their next five games. They went from a near lock to make the playoffs to looking like they'd missed the postseason with five games to go. And I privately accused you of jinxing my team, uh, but they made it in and they've been on fire for the most part since. So if I believe in jinxes, I also have to believe in lucky charms, I guess. And maybe your bold wager on a team you consider a rival is proving to be a lucky charm. So thank you. Uh, but to avoid messing with the mojo, can I get you to promise you won't bet either on or against the Phillies from here on out? Uh, you know, I already won 10 bucks for them in game one and they won anyway, Eric. And I gave the 10 <laughs> bucks back back, by the way, and that game too with a plus 700 odds boost parlay of uh, nola six k's which he got on his last mm -hmm. batter um, plus a uh, schwarber homer that didn't quite pan out so i'm not sure um this has to be my favorite wager 
for a time that hasn't even worked out yet. I mean, it right. was a good idea. I noticed that the Guardians, for instance, have so many holes in their lineup where they couldn't quite keep up with the Yankees. Uh, I felt like Will or Enola are studs mostly, and the Phillies have bats. They have a lot of bats, and I didn't bet the team. I bet the number. Those 30-1 mm-hmm. odds just jumped off the page of me. So do you need me to stop betting on their games now, or does it not matter? I guess, I mean... I'm not sure. I mean, I, I did uh, ask you to promise not to bet on or against them or whatever, but the ultimately, logically stepping outside myself, it <laughs> certainly does not matter. You know, yeah. we, we as humans have massive egos thinking yeah. that what we do or like where we sit on the couch could possibly impact a game. Um, actually, ju- just yesterday, I had to run out during the fifth inning of the Phillies game to pick up my daughter real quick. I'm listening on the radio in the car. They're up 4-2, and then they start giving up runs that inning. And my son back home is texting me, come home. You not watching is bad luck. Um, So really, yeah, do do what you want. Bet on or against who you want. Obviously, none of it really matters. Um, I'm not sure if you read my uh, 76ers season preview article on 10 bets this week, but I mentioned the bet boost Fox Bet had in Pennsylvania last week. They posted this when the Phillies were up one game to none on the Braves. Mm. They offered a thousand to one on the Phillies, Eagles, and Sixers all to win their respective championships. Mm. Allegedly boosted from seven fifty to one. Uh, you can now make that bet at about four hundred to one. Mm. I did put two bucks on it to win two thousand. Uh, <laughs> so if ever a bet by me was going to jinx my teams. That would be it. But uh, the Phillies won that series with the Braves. The Eagles beat Dallas on Sunday night. It should be all the proof I need that my sports bets or your bankroll bets or any of it, none of it impacts real outcomes. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a fun one. Definitely. Yeah, that's uh, and again, that's one of those where, you know, you uh, if, if you can get a like a like a in-person ticket or whatever, you right. can you can give it to somebody for a gift. You know, here it is. Ooh, yeah. Stick it on the fridge. Forget about it. And then, you know, <laughs> next spring, next spring, uh, late spring. Hey, by the way, remember that thing? Well, you know, throw it out. It's uh, who knows? It might still be alive. Right. And obviously, IRL, the bet winning aside, I'll be happy if one leg of that parlay comes yeah, in. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 214 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 213 episodes, they're all available on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please take a few minutes to write a nice review and give us a five-star rating. Just don't spike your smartphone Reese Hoskins style when you're done. Uh-huh. I, I got that reference. Very nice. <laughs> um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by our colleague, Chris Altruda. He was in Las Vegas last week with the uh, G2E Global Gaming Expo Conference. And we'll fill us in on all the highlights. But first, it's been, I would say, a typically busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week. An inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. It's been a little while since we've led the news segment with a sports betting revenue discussion, but it's worth having one now because A, the big September numbers have started coming in, and B, history was made this week with some late arriving August numbers. We'll start with that. New Jersey was number one in handle for three years or so, then it predictably slipped to number two when New York launched mobile betting. But now, for the first time, the Garden State is number three, as Illinois finally surpassed Jersey in betting handle in August. Illinois, which lags several weeks behind most states in reporting, drew $564.8 million in August handle, beating New Jersey by about $18 million. New Jersey is still way ahead per capita, however, with about 9.3 million citizens to Illinois' 12.7 million. In states not named Illinois, 
September numbers have been rolling in over the past several days. And the big story there is that A, Handel is way up over the summer months, predictably. B, Handel compared to September 21 is either a little up or a little down, depending on the state. And C, revenue is setting records nearly everywhere, with the national hold at 12.3% based on the states that have reported so far, which would be a new record blowing past the 11.7% set in September 2018, when there were only five states taking bets. Uh, John, your thoughts on your home state of New Jersey slipping to number three? And any guesses why the sports books beat the crap out of betters so severely in September? Well, I'm going to predict that New Jersey might pass Illinois another uh, month or two in this uh, this fall season, although it, it won't continue forever. But right. if you think about it, the Eagles, the Giants, and the Jets are thrilling their fan bases, mm-hmm. and that takes up most of the football fans in New Jersey. So, uh, And the Bears are not thrilling anybody. Right. <laughs> uh, so I think there could be a pretty big spike uh, in handle uh, on those games, enough where it might even put New Jersey past Illinois. But that's a, that's a, a perfect storm to get there. Obviously, Illinois, with the population base, is going to win in the end. But right. um, I think there's, there's a chance they get back to number two, at least for a little bit. Now, as far as the uh, beating the crap out of betters, you know, you're never out of it with the over was the mantra of the degenerate gambler on my block. Always, he always told me that when we were teenagers, he, he only bet overs, never bet anything else. Well, if you've been betting all NFL overs this year, you've <laughs> lost more than 60 percent of the time. So yeah. and some states where this is the first full season of football betting and irrational exuberance seems to be in play. You know, that's part of it, I think. Also, the worst gamblers, notice, noticeably, are in states like Delaware and Mississippi, where you can only bet at casinos or racinos. And the best, meaning they lost the least percentage-wise, although they lost double digits, are New York and New Jersey, which is where so many experts actually play the odds. So uh, that was particularly noteworthy. Um, There's got to be other reasons, but over-under surely is part of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. Um, I, I'll get to my theories on that in one sec. But first, I'll just note that if anything, we should be impressed. New Jersey held on to number one and then to number two for as long as it <laughs> did. Um, but, you know, the, the combination of losing betters to New York, uh, even if not as many as some pr- expected, it still had to be a decent chunk. That combined with Illinois becoming a more mature market with full remote registration now, uh, it was inevitable. Um But there is still a pretty big gap between New Jersey and almost everyone below them. You know, Pennsylvania and Nevada are the only states that are even halfway to Jersey in terms of monthly handle. So you should be able to hang on to number three slash number two, as you said, uh, for a while longer. And certainly you don't have to worry about slipping out of the top five until a California or a Florida legalizes. Um, As for the massive September holds, I think the over under is is a great point that that's part of it. I think parlays are the number one factor. Uh, You know, all it takes is one or two major upsets a week in the NFL to bust up nearly all the parlays. And we've been getting those. There there hasn't been a clean week yet where three or four big public favorite type teams all won and covered. Uh, I expect October hold won't be too different from September for that reason. Um, Look at some of these September parlay hold percentages. Uh, New Jersey, it's 22.7%. Mississippi, 30.6%. Here's a crazy stat that our upcoming guest, Chris Altruda, shared on Twitter. One sports book in one state 
FanDuel in Illinois has generated $119 million in parlay revenue through the first eight months of 2022. Over that same time frame, total revenue in Iowa from all operational sports books combined on all sports has been $119.9 million, basically the exact same amount. That tells you how big parlay revenue is and how FanDuel specifically took control of that market before anyone else and more effectively than anyone else. I think that's why they're number one over DraftKings overall nationally. I think that's the differentiator that they've promoted parlays more aggressively. They have the best interface for building parlays. They've been first with every innovation, you know, the same game parlay. They did it first, the same game parlay plus Um, DraftKings is number one in DFS because they do a better job with player pricing and and making the games more strategically compelling. But FanDuel is number one in sports betting in a majority of states. And I think it's mostly because they've driven the parlay wave. Uh, And I should note to the detriment of customers who presumably have been running their FanDuel bankrolls down and reloading. Yeah. And even, you know, I'm, uh, on the record here many, many times over the years, uh, being so much against parlays. And even I fell for one yesterday from yeah. DraftKings, you know, <laughs> odds boost plus 700, seven to one. Uh, now I knew Nolan was going to get six K's. He had a terrible game and it took him to his last batter before he left to get the sixth K, uh, but he got it. And so I was like, now Schwarber's probably not going to hit a home run, but I mean, if he does seven to one, Hey, why not? You know, and <laughs> right. it's a loser. And, and it was the same kind of thing that happens. Probably a lot of these better. I had just won 10 bucks. So, eh, you know, I'll risk it and try and get rich. And of course I lost because parlays are really stupid, but um, yeah, it's amazing. And that, but you make the the point you make is really interesting too, because parlays are so brutal that the customers lose so much money. That's not always ideal. You know, I've talked to a horseman who at times, you know, there's a big, you know, underdog or whatever wins or something happened and they're like oh that's okay a lot of people get money and then they're going to give it back anyway so you want people to win sometimes and with um to your point about nfl parlays where there's so many upsets you know the the lock that you have to go and you throw you know a gamble here and there your lock doesn't even win so you can't you're not even close Mm -hmm. and so there's probably a tipping point where the book's are, are crushing it so, so aggressively, people run out of money, you know, yep. and then either they stop betting, which they should, or they don't, which is terrible also. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I wonder if they ever have to cut back on parlay advertising just because they don't want to bleed their customers too quickly. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they want they want to get to a thousand bucks in six months or a year, not in two weeks. And I, I wonder if we get to that tipping point ever. Yeah, it's a, an interesting thing to watch whether the strategy changes at all on that for that reason. Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover, for just three bucks at harrys.com slash blue wire. 
and Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Um, Our second story this week comes with a warning. It involves people losing their minds on social media. So skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to venture into that cesspool. Uh, Anyway, for the Monday night football game pitting the Chargers against the Broncos, DraftKings offered a mega boost, trying to give away a little easy money by boosting Justin Herbert to throw at least one touchdown pass from minus 800 to even money plus 100. The limits were smaller, uh, depending on what state you're in and or what your betting history is. You were most likely able to get down either $10 or $25 on this. Herbert had thrown at least one touchdown pass in 36 of his 37 career games, so it couldn't possibly fail. Uh, you can probably see the plot twist coming. It failed. He didn't throw <laughs> for a single touchdown and people lost their minds on Twitter. Um, I made the bet, although fortunately for me, I was capped at 10 bucks and I forgot I even made it. So I didn't know I'd even lost till the next morning. But uh, in the moment, people on Twitter said it was rigged. They accused the NFL of fixing the game to make <laughs> DraftKings money. I think some of it was tongue in cheek, but not all of it was uh, had People lost big money on this. I get it. But if it cost you $10 or even $25 and you needed to vent on Twitter, maybe sports betting isn't for you. Uh, As expected, DraftKings tried to help everyone win their money back two days later with a boost on Kevin Durant to score 20 points Wednesday night against the Pelicans, which he did by halftime. So everyone should at least be back to even now. Uh, John, my first question, the important one. Are Roger Goodell and Jason Robbins conspiring? Do we need a federal probe to be launched? Um, And what are your serious thoughts on the odds boost, the result, and people melting down on Twitter? Yeah, well, I flashed back to 2019, and I only know that was the year because of the makeup call I'll get to in a second uh, by a major sports book. It might have been DraftKings, but I'm not sure, so I won't say that it is. Um, But it was the October 21st Jets game where the offer was, you win if the Jets score a point. Well, I mean, come on, they're not going to get shut out. <laughs> so seemingly even easier than this one, right? I mean, uh, although uh, a quarterback did set the record for most passing attempts ever without a touchdown pass in a game where his team won. So that's kind of cool that that happened there. But uh, so, of course, the Patriots won 33 nothing to drop the Jets to one and five that year. <laughs> and, and the makeup two days later was Nick's rookie, R.J. Barrett, would score a point in his NBA debut. Yeah, it's a little easier, I think. Uh, yes, yes, he did. He, in fact, he scored 21. Um, now, there was little, if any, Twitter buzz about the first result, uh, the Jets there, um, probably because it was an issue in just one state. I prefer to think of it, though, as New Jersey is not being as whiny as the rest of the country, which, to be fair, is pretty debatable. But uh, <laughs> now I like the idea of hoping that these people should never make a bet again, because if this is how they act with a $10 bet or a $25 bet, what will they do when they lose 100 Yeah, uh, it's weird to me how people don't get that the goal behind these is to make customers happy and loyal to DraftKings, (laughs) that that DraftKings wants to lose these bets. Otherwise, they wouldn't offer them. Uh, They're happy to give you uh, basically free $10 or $25, knowing that 98% of customers will eventually give that money back. And believing that the bulk of the betters will come away with a positive feeling about DraftKings and, and want to keep an account going there or even use these boosts to tell their friends, hey, sign up for DraftKings. This bet 
is amazing value. You got to try this. I guess they could have made it easier and done Herbert to throw for at least one yard instead of one touchdown. But, Mm. you know, they thought that they had made it a near lock and it wasn't. So they tried again. And the second time it worked and, you know, they would have tried a third time if Durant hadn't reached 20 points. Um, But just think about where your mind has to go to get all the way to the conspiracy idea. You know, the NFL Chargers coach Brandon Staley, Justin Herbert, they're all on the take to <laughs> underperform and risk losing a crucial division game so the DraftKings can make a few million dollars. You know, until we're talking about a few billion dollars, I think uh, it's an absolute non-starter. I do think the majority of the people throwing conspiracy theories out there on Twitter were being sarcastic, but again, not all of them were. Some people are convinced that everything in life is rigged and fixed if it doesn't go their way. But anyway, all's well that ends well. Uh, And so uh, ending this conversation on a light note, uh, this was a funny tweet I saw last night from at sports underscore fan 2222 about the Durant boost. He wrote, nice try, DraftKings. You really think I'm going to fall for your collusion after the Justin Herbert stunt you pulled (laughs) last night? I just put my son's entire college fund on Kevin Durant to score less than 20 points at plus 2,000. My wife's going to be so happy when I tell her. (laughs) That is amusing. It is kind of telling, though, that, you know, in three years, we've gone from uh, a rookie uh, first-round pick scores his first point and you win, or Kevin Durant injured constantly uh will score 20 i mean yeah obviously if he's healthy and he's playing decent game he's gonna get it but that is not a lock by any means so uh these books have wised up a little bit they do want you to win but then again you know they uh, i'm I'm wondering what the third one would have been if durant went under too because maybe they're just like you know what the hell with these people they're we got their money (laughs) right yeah you're you could be right there is a certain point at which they 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 probably stop offering these and say oh well it's it's cursed we've got some of your money and that's that (laughs) but uh but no you're absolutely right that uh they they claim the real odds on the durant boost were minus a thousand they were boosting it even that's a terrible bet at minus a thousand. I mean, he can go under 20 sometimes. So yeah, but it did work out. So Uh, our third story is a more serious one, a mobile sports book, a minor one, but a mobile sports book, just the same is leaving the U S market. Fubo Sportsbook, launched by Fubo TV in Iowa in November 2021, Arizona in December 2021, and New Jersey just last month, is ceasing operations effective immediately because, in short, it wasn't seeing a path to profitability. Said Fubo in a press release, while multiple parties expressed interest in partnering with them, none of these opportunities would have allowed Fubo to lower its funding requirements and generate sufficient returns to shareholders. Therefore, we have made the difficult decision to exit the online sports wagering business effective immediately. In 2022 so far, Fubo Sportsbook had generated $117,000 of revenue in Iowa before taxes and about double that in Arizona. So uh, weren't making big money. The exodus of the also-rans continues. Uh, Churchill Downs packed it in. The score handed its brand over in the U.S. and became Canada only. John, was there anything specific about Fubo's approach that you think doomed it? Did they get in too late or just at the wrong time in terms of the economy? And any guesses where the closing mobile sports books trend is headed? 
Yeah, I mean, in, in New Jersey, Harris. Now, that's one of three Atlantic City casinos owned by Caesars Entertainment. Um, as you know, they just took on Fubo, and by the way, profit betting exchange last month also. Right. And Harris reported a loss of about ninety thousand overall on sports betting in a month, where the state sportsbooks cashed almost a hundred million collectively. Wow. In other words, Fubo in statewide was zero for three, or should I say, Fubar, uh, <laughs> which in part is an acronym for. Up beyond all recognition. You can yes. look that one up. Uh, now, Fubo tried to get in both late and in competitive sportsbook states, and it clearly didn't work. I can't say it for sure. Idle speculation alert, but it feels like maybe the play was just to get licensed, and then a bigger fish comes along and they cash out. Hmm. Well, there aren't many new fish left, probably, and there are, are tastier items on the menu, I would say. I think that's why they got nowhere. Uh, the trend is heading in only one direction, and that's downward in terms of the number of sportsbook operators. It's it's inevitable, I think. You know, unlike casinos where the real money is, but only a half dozen states have it. You know, that's where I'd be sniffing around if I was so inclined and rich. Uh, figure out which states are next front like casino. Be prepared to strike immediately when that opportunity arises. Then you might have something. Uh, the margins on sportsbooks are so low anyway, and the competitors are massive you know you had obviously the two dfs giants but also uh several casino uh empires uh, there's just they're too big and you know while we have noted that four five six seven you know operators certainly can be successful enough it ain't 2025 that's not going to happen yeah, that's all good analysis. Uh, one very problematic note worth uh, mentioning, our, our colleague uh, Sam McQuillan over at Action Network reported mm -hmm. this, that customers have been unable to withdraw their money from the Fubo Sportsbook accounts. Um, Fubo says this is just for a, quote, brief period while they're disabling the ability to place bets. And I tend to take them at their word on that, that it'll be up and running and you'll be able to withdraw soon. But as someone who remembers what happened with Full Tilt Poker on Black Friday, where they misappropriated player funds and weren't able to cash players out, I'm a tiny bit wary about Fubo Sportsbook indeed having all the money on hand and, until this gets taken care of. So I, I hope that that story becomes a non-story very soon. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of what went wrong for Fubo, unfortunately, they weren't around long enough for us to really gauge much about their approach. You know, they had this tagline, watch, wager, win, where they, they were trying to combine watching sports through their app with betting on sports. I can't jump to any conclusions about whether an app combining watching live sports with betting will find an audience. They just didn't have enough rope to to make it work and, or, or to find out whether it was going to work. And um that I, I think a lot of it is the economy right now. You know, it's not friendly to verticals that aren't making money. You're not giving given that opportunity to lose money for a while before becoming profitable. So, you know, someone at Fubo got out in front of it and decided the future upside isn't worth it. We need to just cut this cost right now. So I, I would say their failure is about timing more than anything else, but there's certainly more to come. As you said, I'd say over the next 12 months, the over-under for mobile sports books that exit the U.S. market aligns probably, I'd say, one and a half. You know, not counting consolidation, just giving mm -hmm. up and leaving. I'd put the line at one and a half over the next 12 months. Yeah, I'm not too worried about the uh, betters getting their money back either. But I will say that the uh, New Jersey Division of Gaming Enforcement people, um, if somebody tried to wriggle out of that, Oh, man, you don't want them bearing their fangs. Uh, you know, you want to ride the ride? Here you go. I mean, forget it. I, I, that's good news for um, gamblers in all three states, because there's no way that they would let that happen, even a little bit. I mean, they would come down on them. There's all kinds of uh, 
not only regulations, but enforcement opportunities available. And DG is not afraid to take them. So people will get their money back. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. The 2022 Global Gaming Expo is in the rearview mirror, but we didn't really talk about it on last week's pod since neither John nor I were in attendance this year. But joining us now is a man who was, our colleague Chris Altruda, is the master of the sports betting handle and revenue spreadsheets. He is also presumably a very happy New York Jets fan. And he was in Vegas last week for G2E, so he's going to fill us in now on what we missed. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Eric, John. Thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So G2E is an event that spans the whole gambling industry. It's not a sports betting specific convention. It takes place at a casino. There are always a lot of casino products on display. I'm curious if you saw the balance shifting at all this year. You know, sports betting has been at the center of nearly every gambling conversation since 2018. But is that starting to recede at all? Or is sports betting still what everyone was talking about at G2A? It's hard to talk to discuss at like at a level of conversation. I, I noticed the big thing actually was spending more time off the floor because more people were there this year versus 2021 due to the pandemic. You had the foreign contingent there as well, but also the fact that it seemed to be at what I would call max capacity of 25,000 people that you had more opportunities to network. And I think more people took advantage of that to do one-on-ones. I mean, I was no different talking to various people from aristocrat gaming about their NFL deal with the slot machines and sports wagering and other places, and also going to the educational sessions. So I don't know if the con- the, the percentage of conversation tilted at all. I think there were just significantly more conversations being had on a one-on-one and smaller, smaller intimate level than, say, group levels. Okay. And as far as the conversations that were happening regarding sports betting, I'm curious whether the tone felt any different this year. Like, is there more apprehension than in years past about sports betting as a profitable enterprise? Was there more of that sort of questioning the direction that it's heading in than than the enthusiasm of years past? I think there was some to it. I, you know, I I think one of the things was sometimes you, you get the keynote speakers who who can excel at the art of saying everything without saying anything. <laughs> right. And I think you had that to a degree with Jason Robbins and Amy Howe. FanDuel has already you know, gotten to that point where they are profitable. DraftKings is trying to get closer to that mark. And J- I had never heard Jason Robbins speak publicly before. So the, the nasal twang was you know, something you get used to on top of it. But it just, it just felt ordinary, if that makes sense. It was, you know, we're, we're here, we're doing this, you know, we're doing the things we need to do to maintain our space and get to that road to profitability. We're not promising anything. We're not talking about the proposed, the rumored merger with ESPN. We're, we're on this path. We want to stay on this path and we want to get there. I think that was the biggest takeaway from his speech. I thought the first panel with Derek Stevens from Circa and the win executive whose name escapes me, I thought that one was actually more insightful because Win offered a little bit more about its overall strategy in the gaming space. So to that regard, it's interesting, but I, I don't think, I mean, enthusiasm is a, is a hard word to gauge, especially when it comes to profitability, because I mean, that's more urgency than enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't know if you can place it as enthusiastic. I mean, people, we still want to market the product and, pe- and people still want California to be legalized at virtually any and all costs. So finding those paths, I think, is where the enthusiasm lies, getting that market open, getting Texas open, getting Florida open. People still want to see the holy grail states come to life. Right. Yeah, Chris, as you mentioned, there's about 25,000 people from around the world there. I've been there a number of times. And uh, one thing I noticed is in kind of the Great Hall where the all the booths are, it's a little bit like a carnival. I mean, there's a couple of hundred games you can play, you might say, in this case being the booths where they're really established huge companies that, you know, you got to have a booth because everybody has a booth. So we have one, we staff it, but whatever people show up and talk to us, so they don't, we don't care. Others are a lot more engaged. Then you got startups where this may be make or break, you know, they're in there, they spent a lot of money. Um, they have to get, they have to draw attention. And, you know, through that, there's a lot of uh, offbeat games and even some celebrity appearances. Uh, you know, I was struck in 2018, uh, you know, Chubby Checker, I uh, use my line, Google it kids. There was a person named mm-hmm. Chubby Checker. Uh, and himself, he's there signing autographs, which is kind of bizarre. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, uh, how much time you got in the hall anyway. But uh, did you see any celebrity sightings? And also, uh, were there any unusual games or contests or attractions that kind of lured more people to one booth than another? I didn't see any celebrities. That doesn't mean, of course, none of them were, st- were stalking around the hallways and byways. Yeah. I mean, the biggest th- the biggest takeaway for me was just the fact that it was a full-on expo hall as opposed to 2021 where there might have been some empty spaces. Yeah. This time, Aristocat had what seemed to be the entire length of the wall wow. on on like the left side of the expo as you first walk in. And there's like the, the two-story A is there. The this tunnel where where they have where they're they're really promoting this NFL deal, which I completely understand where you can like take a picture in this little tunnel with your favorite NFL helmet and things and things of that nature. IGT had a notable presence there. And the slot games are just everywhere. And I don't recall all the theme names, but at the same time, all the popular ones were there in big, shiny HD everywhere you turned. So there's definitely presence there. Some of it is offbeat. I also think some of it, you know, kind of, kind of a goofy thing. I always like the fact there's casino furniture salespeople there. Yeah. People, sell, people selling stools, people selling tables, people like different kind of tables, the the electronic craps table, which I still admittedly still kind of like fawn over from the first time I saw it in Michigan a few years ago and things like that. But in terms of celebrities, I didn't see anything, but it's when it's bigger, like this one was, and last year was my only other point of reference, it was a lot harder to like kind of narrow things down because you you're going to certain places to talk to certain people at certain times. And as a result, you don't allow yourself time, especially this year when you wanted to book more people to talk to. So it was a little harder for me to focus, which comes hard naturally because I have such a short attention span. But, you know, that, that's what it was for me this year. Yeah, I, I always like the data they have on the furniture because it does seem like, you know, what difference does it make really one chair or the other? And they sort of dissect humans down to objects in the sense of, you know, in this chair that we have set up, people stay an average of 22 minutes at the slot machine. 
Right. And in this one, they say it after 29 minutes. That's an enormous <laughs> profit difference. And so even though that's a much more expensive chair, you can do the math fairly easily and figure out, you know what, if that's what happens. They, and then, of course, the casinos can figure this out for themselves, too. But uh, right. so I, I, that's one thing where, yeah, at a face value, I think, oh, I mean, who cares what, what kind of chair you have at a slot machine? And in actuality, that's money because human beings being what they are, the more comfortable they are, the longer they tend to stay. And, you know, we don't normally think about it, but it's kind of a uh, unveiling of our unconscious selves when you go to an event like that and like, this is hardcore. Hey, look, it's business. We're, you got to keep that customer's ass in the chair for as long as possible. <laughs> and we've got the, the chair that asses love. And so therefore you're going to stay. So. Exactly. Well, one type of chair is a bar stool. See what I did there? That's this is one of the greatest segues I've ever pulled off. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Chris, you wrote an in-depth piece about Erica Nardini's keynote session. And so for anyone who doesn't know, she's the CEO of Barstool Sports. She talked a lot about Barstool as a media entity, but I didn't see much in your piece about how Barstool Sportsbook specifically is going. Any guesses whether they're happy or not right now with their standing as roughly the fifth place mobile sports book? Did, did she have anything to say on the subject or did she seem to be going out of her way to talk about the media side rather than the sports book operator side? I don't think she went out of her way to not talk about the sports book side. She did mention Kelly in Vegas as arguably their best handicapper as opposed to every guy they seem to throw out on a screen, which, which mm -hmm. I thought was kind of funny. I think the thing with Barstool is that they actually should be content with where they are in this space. I think they are pushing the, the ceiling or floor of what I would call the third tier of operators. You have FanDuel and DraftKings 1 and 2. You know, Pick a state, regardless of state, that's where they are. What I think has been underreported to a degree is that BetMGM has essentially created its own tier mm. as the number three operator nationally in terms of handle. You, I mean, you look at them in, in Michigan, they have the retail space. But as you look at them going into each marketplace, they're, they're pretty much running neck and neck with Caesars for third in New York. They have completely flattened the fourth through seven spots in Illinois since entering in March. And where they took the market share away from wasn't FanDuel or DraftKings in Illinois, it was Bet Rivers. Hmm. And while they're still a ways away from catching them, they've they've shrunk the gap significantly. So I think BetMGM has this like second tier all to itself. Caesars kind of has that third tier. And then you see the scramble underneath it where everyone's trying to be that fourth and fifth spot and Barstool does probably have a more firm grip on that than say points bet. And what keeps them in the conversation for that fourth spot is the lack of traditional ad spend that they don't need to do because their social media presence is so strong. And that was something that Nardini, I think rightfully touched on And One of the things that I took away from that is that one, she's a very she's very media savvy as a veteran of other places she went that have other platforms, the Yahoo, the Googles, the AOL, the Microsoft, the AOLs. But she's also intellectually curious about how to achieve it. They're not, she, you know, she talked about, you know, learning the regulatory side with pen gaming, but also maintaining a distance from the actual gaming operation to, as she said, 
what kind of fence can I put around my people to make sure they don't run afoul and foul up Penn's product? And I think that in the long run helps Barstool be a better media company and makes Penn a better gaming company. Well, speaking of all these different sports book brands, um, I'm just curious, um, this isn't directly related to G2E, but I'm wondering, you know, you're in Illinois, a, a legal mobile betting state, uh, a state where Barstool is among the many options. John and I talk often about how we choose two or three or four sports books. We don't have accounts at, at 10 or 15. Just curious, how, how about you? How many accounts have you uh, opened up since they started invading your state? I have all seven. Okay. I mean, I mean, part, part of it is professional research, but <laughs> at the same time, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm like everyone else, you know, you shop lines on NFL Sundays, you, you shop lines on NBA Fridays. You, you want to see what the difference is. You want to build parlays. I think one of the things, and I don't know how many other websites have online virtual gaming, but Bet Rivers has a very, Rivers has a very good, free play virtual casino and it includes a sports book and every now and then i'll just tinker with their their sports book page to build parlays see what it looks see what kind of value i get and, and maybe comparison shop a little bit to that end hmm. but no i mean you, you i think only having seven in the state makes it very easy to have all seven in the state right and on your phone so, Chris, you're saying uh, if you're in New Jersey like me, you wouldn't have all 25 apps? Uh. I, <laughs> I mean, I might actually test that theory in December when I visit my family. Um, okay. I, would, I would probably have the pre-existing seven from Illinois, yeah. and I would probably pick or choose three of them. Maybe you know, just have, you know, have yeah. a nice round number of 10. Yeah. All right. So I want to ask you about um, – it's funny, not only that esports was a – a panel topic as it is at every single gaming event in the country every single year and has been for years. But uh, a couple of the panels even made a joke about, you know, this sort of next big thing, question mark, title of the panel. It sounds so 2019. And I think I went to that panel in 2018 and 2019. <laughs> and, you know, you have on the one hand, you know, esports is incredibly popular popular among young people and a lot of older people, including a lot of older casino and even sportsbook executives don't realize it's not just that, Oh, young people like to play video game. This is, they want to watch tournaments. They want to watch professional experts who are, are the best at their craft and they'll, and they'll spend time and energy in watching those events for a good amount of time. They even show up at arenas to watch them, you know? And, and so there seems to be a massive, uh, sportsbook opportunity there and yet all we have is nevada and new jersey frankly are kind of half-assed on they kind of allow it but it's half-heartedly you mentioned in your story about nevada's making some progress in improving that situation new jersey has a bill in trenton that's kind of going nowhere that will make it easier to automatically approve a uh, esports event whereas now you got to you know go through a lot of hoops so i you know, in five years, is the panel going to be the same title or do you have any particular expectation that this nut is finally going to be cracked? Because it seems like the, the revenue possibly will be there. And yet there seems to be little interest in the industry in it. I think there's a few factors at play with this. I think one is that other states are waiting on Nevada and New Jersey to craft something because these are the states that always come up with the best practices that everyone follows along with. I think that's a big thing. And to that end, Nevada's 
push to create a white list of operators, a white list of leagues could go a very long way in accelerating that process. The problem is no one has applied to be on that whitelist, which begs the question, do these operators and do these leagues, have they done the internal due diligence that is going to be scrutinized to the nth degree by the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which, as we all know, is you know essentially the law of the land in some respects when it comes to sports wagering. I think to that end, I think the leagues themselves have to fall under a single governing body, or at the very least, do it the way European soccer does, where you have this continental this continental governing body that has a top down where you can where you go league country continent. I think that would help. I think one of the other underrated parts of this is there's a technology aspect that for e-gaming specifically that no one seems to want to address. And it was brought up kind of in passing and not really focused on, but it's the fact that a platform like Twitch has a chat box. And what Dr. Brett Aberbanel was saying during that is that People who are watching esports games on Twitch are in that chat box. They're talking to each other. They're making wagers in the chat box. And then they go to Discord and you know pay out their wagers, whether they be real or imagined or in whatever currency they are. And I think that is a, te- is a technological leap that sports books might not have the capability to take right now. They might not want to take that right now as well. I think you know putting putting an actual event on the board is the easiest part of the whole equation. You know, it's okay, it's approved. Yeah, throw it up there. Sure, fine. We'll, you know, we can we can wager on it. But I think the technology it's one of the few places where the technology is ahead of the sports book, and it's going to continue evolving ahead of the sports book. And until there's a bridge, and it might be that chat box, it might be the platform, the 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 internal tech stack that creates that chat box for the sport, the mobile sports book that winds up being the forerunner to expanding the esports vertical. Yeah. I mean, New Jersey only has one approved esports uh, sports book operator and the marketplace hasn't been very kind to them. They're not too impressed. And uh, I think the sense is that the, the op, the creators of the games themselves don't seem to care about the gambling angle. So they're not necessarily going out of their way to talk to regulators or lawmakers and say, hey, you know, we got a great product here. We think it should be legal gambling. I, I guess their business is strong enough. It's like, you know what? That might work. It might not. We have to put a lot of investment in, so why bother? So that's why I'm thinking if I'm still around in 2027, I might be attending a panel at G2E with the same title. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a very valid point as well. I think that I don't think any very few developers make wagering a priority. And to some respect, that's understandable given the constant innovations that come with counter, Counter-Strike Global Offensive, that count that come with League of Legends and things like that. You're always adding components to the game itself that wagering on the game becomes secondary because you have to add these components to whatever list you're going to offer markets on as well. So that makes, I mean, that does, I agree with that sentiment as well. But I really think the chat box thing is something that could be the bridge to help sport to help mobile sports books expand the vertical. 
All right. We'll see if we're having this exact same conversation with you on the podcast five years from now or not. (laughs) Um, Well, thanks so much for joining us uh, again, Chris. Uh, I don't know how it's possible for anyone to survive caring about this industry uh, and the details of it and not be following you on Twitter. But just in case, it's uh, at Altruda73 is the handle to follow to get all the latest updates on the numbers going on in every state. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the podcast again. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it as always. All right. Thanks, Chris. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to the fast five shortly, but first let's update our betting bankroll. And it was a perfect week for us. Three for three, plus lots of positive movement on older futures bets. Uh, Here were our three wins. John had Tennessee plus seven and a half. They, of course, won outright versus Alabama. So an excellent bet there. It won us $100. I had under 44 points in the Bucs Steelers game. I guess the better bet would have been Pittsburgh Moneyline, but still uh, a fine win on a 20 to 18 final score, another $100 profit for us. And lastly, the Shields Marshall boxing match did indeed go the 10 round distance. Easy money. We won $56 on that. And that means we added $256 to our bankroll this week, putting us down $2,810 overall. We have $980 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $6,210 available to bet with this week. And you are up first, John. Yeah, I never thought I'd be so pleased to be under a loss of 3000 you know? <laughs> And so hopeful that the Phillies got us even closer to, I don't know, less humiliated, something like that. Sure. But at any rate, um, give me Oklahoma State plus six and a half points at home versus Texas. Now, both punters can skip the game and head to a local bar and watch along with their classmates. I mean, it's a wild shootout and the Cowboys can stay in it till the end. And I think they will. And so that's a standard 110 to win 100 deal. Yes. Sorry. Right. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with two football bets. Uh, And first, sorry to take your corner here, John, but I'm going to take a shot on a CFL game. Uh, (laughs) Our colleague Greg Warren (laughs) wrote his weekly preview, and he's been focused a lot lately on the Edmonton Elks, who have Mm. lost 16 straight home games. Mm. Uh, This is their final home game this season against the Mm. BC Lions. The Lions have a lot to play for, uh, seeding, home field advantage, and the Elks just stink. They've been outscored. 105 to 29 by BC in their two previous games this year. They have the worst defense in the league and you can't make this stuff up. Their quarterback, Taylor Cornelius will miss the game. He's been hospitalized with a spleen injury. Uh, Get well, Taylor Cornelius, but give me the lions minus seven, $110 to win a hundred. And then one quick NFL bet. I like the Seahawks money line against the chargers. Seattle's better than anyone expected. And the chargers are talented, but, have a lot of injuries and are capable of losing to anyone and don't really have a home field advantage. So I think the Seahawks are worth a shot at plus 260. Let's bet $50 to win 130. A quarterback from Edmonton named Cornelius. If he's not nicknamed Yukon Cornelius, then somebody's getting it wrong. <laughs> probably another Google item for our younger right, listeners. Yes. But at any rate, um, I figured I was done picking golf for the calendar year, but uh, I figured I'd peek at the CJ Cup odds. And there's our President's Cup boy, Jordan Spieth. He's the eighth choice in admittedly a stellar field that includes Rory McElroy, John Rahm, and Justin Thomas. But Spieth has the game to play with all of them, with anybody. It's what's above his shoulders that sometimes holds him back. 
but he seems to be getting his act together. Spieth already has one win in South Carolina this year. This course is generous to erratic drivers. That's great for him. And it's a gift to creative wedge players. That's him. So Spieth, 20 units at plus 2,200. I like that. Uh, beyond that, 20-year-old Tom Kim, 100 units at minus 105 to place in the top 20. I likely do even better, but I'm playing it safe, I think. But I think Tom Kim is going to be in the top 20 of every tournament he plays pretty much. Okay. Uh, so there are no major boxing matches this week, but I'll get out ahead of one for next week. Uh, October 29th, the Jake Paul boxing sideshow continues. He's taking on Anderson Silva, a UFC all-time great who is my age, 47, uh, but has proven himself a competent boxer. He's still physically capable despite his age. Last year, he won a boxing match over Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who, for all his flaws, was a legit pro boxer. Uh, my friend Brian Campbell, who we had on the podcast once a couple of years ago to talk MMA, He's been saying from the start that he favors Silva over Paul, but the sports books have made Paul the slight favorite. We can get Silva at plus 105. So 47 year olds unite. Let's take Silva to win $100 to win 105. And we'll have to wait a week for that one to grade, but I'd rather bet it now just in case sharp money comes in on Silva and starts moving the line. And we finished the show with the Fast Five, where for the second week in a row, John, you inched ever closer to me. Uh, we agreed on two games, and we went one and one on those, losing with the Jags, but winning with the Seahawks. On my other three, I went one and two. The Falcons covered, the Browns and Panthers did not. On your other three, John, you went two and one, hitting with the Bills and Bengals, but missing with the Ravens. So it's a second straight three and two week for you to improve to 14 and 16, while my record dipped to 16, 13 and one off the two and three week. Collectively, we are 30, 29 and one and not quite beating the VIG, just how the books like it. Uh, we again have four teams on by in week seven and you're up first, John, with your five picks. Yeah, so instead of starting with a bunch of three and twos and then having a slow fade like most years, I'm mixing it up this time and getting rolling a little later. So I'll try to continue this renaissance. And boy, I hope you weren't watching the last seconds of our Jaguars against the Colts, by the way. That one, <laughs> that one left a mark. That was, that, was, uh, that was a rough beat. But uh, speaking of the Jaguars, they're an absurd 8-35 and 35 against the spread in games versus the NFC in the past decade. And at 2-4, and four, they're favored by three against the Super Bowl-bound 5-1 and one Giants. Hmm. Give me the Jags. So I'll win this game by double digits. This is the sucker bet of the year, I suspect. Uh, next, I've got Titans minus two and a half over the Colts, who admittedly are a confusing team. Now, they beat the Chiefs? What? But the <laughs> Titans have more of a track record of figuring things out. And speaking of which, the Bengals minus six versus the Falcons, who, yes, are the lone 6-0 and team against the point spread this year. Like the Titans, I think the Bengals remember. I see what I did there. Uh, uh, yeah. Who they are and finally put together a solid 60 Minutes. Uh, fourth, I've got Jets plus one at the bumbling Broncos and wounded slash overrated Russell Wilson or a grim alternative at quarterback. The Jets are a Jersey team that is more for real. Finally, the Chiefs minus two and a half at the 49ers and they're missing defensive line. I shorted the Chiefs last week and barely got away with it. Andy Reid against a decimated defense is a joy to behold. All right, so we have one we agree on, one we're head-to-head -head on, yeah. and two others that I strongly considered going with, and we would have agreed on one and been head-to-head -head on another, <laughs> and then one I was never even thinking about, and that's the Chiefs and Niners. I'm staying way the hell away from that one. Mm. I don't know quite what to make of that. But this is a week where I loved some of these opening lines, but apparently other people loved them too, and so a few of them have shifted a half point or a point in the wrong direction based on these Superbook lines, making it a little tougher for me. But I still have five I think are good. So here goes, starting with the one we agree on, Tennessee minus two and a half at home against the Colts. We're on the right side of the hook. 
I still don't think the Colts are any good at all, even though they've been finding ways to pull out wins. The Titans beat them by seven in Indy already this season. So I think they can win by at least three at home. Now our head to head. At some point, the Falcons' perfect record against the spread will become imperfect, but I don't think it's this week. They're getting those six points in Cincinnati against that Bengals team that can't protect Burrow and doesn't blow anyone out. I don't expect the Falcons to win outright. I do expect them to keep it close. Next, I don't believe I've picked the Commanders yet this season, but I'm going to do it this week because... A, I'm now of the opinion that the Packers are actually legit not good after they've lost to both the Giants and Jets back-to-back. And B, no Carson Wentz. That's a positive for Washington. Um, I believed in Wentz longer than almost anyone. I still think he could have been great. He had the confidence knocked out of him, though. And whatever the the woulda, coulda, shouldas, he's proven over the last two years or so that he's a liability. So Washington getting five at home against a Packers team in turmoil. I'll take the points with Washington. Um, Next up, Seahawks getting five and a half in LA against the Chargers. No explanation required really after my money line bet. I'd expect a three point or so game either way here. And uh, lastly, I'm going to back one big favorite, the Patriots minus eight at home against Chicago. It's probably going to be a slow paced, low scoring game, and you're not supposed to lay a lot of points in that situation. But with Belichick and the Pats starting to put the pieces together and the Bears being one of the worst teams in football and the way the Pats have done against bad teams, they beat the Steelers. That one was close. The last two weeks, they've smoked Detroit and Cleveland. This is another very bad team. I think New England can cover the eight points. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Chris Altruda. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, we mentioned the Alabama-Tennessee game in passing earlier. I'll just say it's one of the 10 best college football games I've ever watched, the best ever being Texas versus USC for a national title. Uh, combining that with a long, long day of terrific baseball playoff games, it was just glorious. I mean, I've mentioned in recent weeks that I've learned that betting only what you can afford to lose was a wrong premise. It's really betting only what you can lose and not get pissed off. And uh, I didn't have any favorite teams in any of these games, so I just enjoyed the heck out of it. And once it ended, I remembered only then, oh, I made two modest bets that day, but it had nothing to do with the, you know, whether I enjoyed the product or not. So I'm adding another caveat. On ideal sports watching days like that, maybe either don't bet at all or bet small. That you can savor the competition. You don't have to need a particular outcome to make it fun. It should just be fun because it's fun. So with that observation, until next time, gamble on. Gamble on.